but yeah, the bulk of my time, I think especially now that I'm a little more settled, is going to end up revolving around the Newman Center, um, just because that's kind of what the pastor wants. Like a bunch of mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of the the kids there are like wanting to meet, and um, like there's just always something happening. But like you can just tell when you're there. And frankly, just because like I wear clerics and I'm young, I still kind of besides I'm a little bit heavy than I was and I'm balding I still pretty much <laughs> you still you know, got it I still got it I still <laughs> look like them three dogs north is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible the following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal Um, so I know obviously the podcast, we don't, we're not like a scripture study group or, um, scriptural analysis podcast. Uh, but my topic kind of revolves around, um, just looking at the prodigal son and, uh, one of the homilies that I heard this weekend. So it's kind of cool. Cause I get to hear multiple different homilies on the same, um, on the same gospel because there's a couple of different masses. We have like a Korean mass. We have a Spanish mass. I don't, I have no clue what's going on the Korean mass, but, uh, (laughs) then we have the English mass. And so you get to hear a couple of different perspectives on the, on the gospel. And, uh, one of the, the newly ordained priest here, um, he preached on, uh, specifically on, uh, the, the younger, the younger son, the younger brother. And, uh, Essentially, his understanding of freedom is really what's at the heart of the problem there, and that's what kind of leads him astray. And I know, Father Connor, you have a a pretty big love for the prodigal son, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know if y'all are down to just kind of... It's really about a definition of freedom that I find really, really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of sparks some memories, and it's very true in my own experience of this is how I perceived freedom. But, um, Let's hear so it. yeah, so <clears throat> his whole take on it was that oftentimes we think about freedom and our own happiness is going to come when we are without limitations, kind of that idea of like radical, radical freedom, which we've talked about a little bit. Um, but not only without limitations, but like, in another place, away from all of the people, away from all of the responsibilities, essentially outside of the relationships that um, we grew up in, because there's other things that are outside of us that are going to make us happy. Um, and anything that limits our ability to essentially do whatever we want, which is the common definition of freedom, the ability to do whatever you want, whenever you want, um, that anything that says otherwise is a restriction on on my freedom, and it's not going to make me happy. Um, so he kind of walked through the gospel and showed how when he went outside and, and, yeah, had radical freedom, it led him to this life of desolation and sadness. And the Spanish is so good. He's like, I'm, I'm dying of hunger out here. He says, I'm literally dying of hunger. And, you know, that's obviously like this exterior manifestation of something interior that's going on. And that when he actually comes back to the father's house, 
you know, the amazing scene where the father runs out to greet him, which is so beautiful. But what he's longing for is this feast and this party and this celebration. And uh, he actually comes and gets all of that when he enters back into the father's house. Like that's when the real party is thrown. And that's when he's actually fulfilled when he's living in relationship, in uh, relationship with the father, relationship with his house, relationship with his family of where he came from. Um, And that's where he actually finds fulfillment and freedom. So the definition of freedom that this priest um, that he gives is freedom occurs when we're completely fulfilled, when we're when we're satisfied. And um, we have lack of freedom when, when we're essentially not satisfied. And so when we when we choose things that aren't going to actually satisfy us, aren't for our destiny, aren't helping us reach our end, um, then we end up being unsatisfied and we become slaves to these things, which obviously the the prodigal son does throughout the reading. But then when he comes back to this um, relationship, then that's where he's actually most fulfilled and lives most freely in responsibility, in relationship with the father. These things that are really primarily who he is, they're, they're more to the core of who the prodigal son is than anything else. And it just made me think about my own experience of like being in high school and <clears throat> growing up in a pretty tight knit family and then going off to college and having that desire to like, yeah, radical freedom. <laughs> and I think this, the story that most, uh, I guess, encapsulates that idea uh, in my college days was, um, you know, we're out hanging out and drinking and partying when I was a freshman. And we had a pool, a community pool that uh, had a diving board and, you know, it was still pretty warm. We were, we were freshmen and so we had just gotten there for the most part and you know I'm in this whole idea of I can do whatever I want I'm on my own radical freedom without responsibility without accountability I can do I'm free to do whatever and so I climbed over this fence um, (laughs) to get into the pool you know which is like very analogous of like me just climbing over all limitations you know (laughs) just doing whatever I want and I actually like jumped off the fence and gashed my foot wide open. Um, the chain on, link. It was yeah, it was chain link on the top, and uh, yeah, I just ripped my foot wide open, and then proceeded to go with, you know, I had like, I don't know, probably had like a beer in my hand or something, and went off to the diving board and did some backflip into the pool in the middle of the night and just jumped out and whatever came back and went back to the party or something like that with your dna all over the diving board and all in the pool this is ridiculous yeah it's terrible i know i was a scoundrel (laughs) and uh but what i what i remember very very much was how much like deep down i wanted the week to begin because when the week began i had rotc and i had school and I had like my family. I remember wanting to come back and be with my family. <laughs> but even just having the desire to be back in a place of responsibility of like, oh, ROTC, I have things to do. Mm. I have responsibilities and I have relationships that are there that are actually substantial and actually going to fulfill me. Because my weekends, they were so empty. They yeah. were so empty in this pursuit of freedom. And what I really wanted was something 
something substantial to sustain me, you know, and to sustain me. And uh, it's an absurd thing because, you know, like I was working for the weekend and then my weekends was just like wanting to be back in the week so that I could do something real so that I could be. Well, some, so somebody that was. would be counting on you, you know, like it's, it's yeah. just you're disconnected. Yeah. You're totally disconnected when you're in that kind of freedom. The, the time in my life I felt that was in between fighting fires and um, seminary. I had a few months where I basically had no responsibilities. I tried to get a job, but like nobody wanted a short timer. I was overqualified for everything with a biochemistry degree. I was trying to just get like whatever job, help this priest with his retreat house. But uh, yeah, I was like completely untethered and could do whatever I wanted. I had money from fighting fires. And by the end of it, I was just like, give me responsibility. Give me something. Give me a schedule, a time I have to be up in the morning. And it's a, yeah, the same exact experience. Like I, I was free in the sense of unrestricted. But uh, I was thinking about when you were talking about that priest's definition of freedom as fulfillment of, uh, I think it was FDR said in one of his speeches that, you know, we want to be free, uh, not just from tyranny, but free from fear and free from want. And uh, it's not really realistic to expect your government to make you free of wants, you know, to fulfill every one of your needs so that you don't, so that there's peace only god can supply that um but the reason that we run away from god who fulfills us is because we know we're beholden if we are in relationship with him or in his house that there are responsibilities of being a son or a daughter and uh you know we throw away the baby with the bathwater. we're like we don't want the responsibilities so we'll take away we'll just get rid of the relationship that fulfills us so that we can not have the restrictions, but also then not have any fulfillment. And then you're just off on tether trying to find fulfillment. And that rhythm of the working for the weekend and the weekends are empty and you can't wait for the weekend to be over. That's the perfect picture of the vicious cycle of, uh, because both are burdens to you. The work is unfulfilling because it's unconnected from uh, like a higher purpose of why you're doing these things, why you're disciplining yourself and getting up in the morning and going to the army. And then the weekends are not fulfilling. So you see what I'm saying? Like one feeds into the other. Absolutely. You're just dreading everything. Yeah. (laughs) Like, wait a second. (laughs) There has to be more than this, right? There has to be more than this. Um, Yeah. And, And that's when it like when you do see the sun coming home. And it's something that, Rob, I know you and I have talked so much about is that, um, well, even with what we were just talking about, you know, before we prayed and um, God wants to give us everything that we want. He wants to fulfill all of our desires and to see that actually lived out in, in that gospel that we heard yesterday of the prodigal son. It, yeah. The father knows how to throw a way better party that we can mm-hmm. than we can. And he has the nicest tunics and the sweetest rings like <laughs> and the, the best, sandals. best, yeah, the best bling. And <laughs> And he has the fatted calf, like way better than we can. We're either going to eat with the swine or we're going to eat the swine with the father, you know? Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny even talking about that, like the workaday world where weekends become 
either a recuperate recuperation for or you know whatever you call it like to go back and work through the week uh joseph peeper talks about that and he says that um you know in order to, he he's the book he's most well known for is leisure as the basis of culture um but for him leisure requires festival or festivity and festival requires worship um so like what we're talking about it seems like is that yeah like when you are an idiot college student looking for some type of fulfillment like and this false definition of freedom i was thinking have you guys read evolution of man by c.s lewis Mm -hmm. um it's that i think it's like the end of the last chapter in that where he talks about because we're human beings because we're made in the image and likeness of god um you can't you cannot take the heart out of a man um but he says that what we do is we we make men without chess and then we expect of them virtue and enterprise so i think his line is that like you remove the organ and you demand the function and here i'll pull it up uh so he says we laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst we castrate and we bid the geldings be fruitful so it's just it's just interesting like and i i love this framed around the prodigal son because exactly what you're saying Mike, is that, yeah, like, if we live our life on God's terms, that's when we're happiest. He can, the Father can throw a better party than we can throw. Um, I don't know, I'm ra- I'm rambling, but I like the point. No, I, I think you're right on. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, you think, like, what you, your little escapade in the swimming pool had all the trappings of a party, you know. It was access. epic, by the way. Oh, can yeah. I just say that? It was epic. And a, that's and a cool what story. college is. It's epic. <laughs> that's like the word. That you is know? not what college is. College is a higher education, dude. Totally. Well, most that, of your education hap- happens outside the classroom, right? <laughs> In the bars. Yeah, dude, totally. <laughs> um, what I was thinking of was uh, the older son in the parable because he too wants a party like he's been thinking about like the fact that this is total baloney that um i do all this stuff for my dad and he never gives me a goat to have this separate party with just my friends and uh that anger or resentment is keeping him out of this awesome party simply because it's not about him it's about his brother you know, um, it's celebrating someone else's thing. And he thinks that guy doesn't deserve a party. But little does he know that he would have a way better time at that party than at his stupid goat party, you know. <laughs> goat party. And so both of the both of the sons miss the mark on freedom. I think that's clear. But in a, in a way, I'm more saddened by the older brother. Yeah. Um, in the newly ordained priest here also gave a cool insight to that as well, which I had never heard before. And it definitely rang true for me is that they both have the same idea of freedom of like he, yeah, you're right. The older brother wants the same thing that the younger brother has. He wants the party. He wants to go out and have a good time. 
But the difference is he doesn't have the cajones yeah, to he's go too out chicken. and do it. Exactly. I've always thought that. He's too chicken. And so he still has this idea of it, but he doesn't know the end of it. Right. He's jealous he, of his brother for being jealous of the pigs. He doesn't yeah. understand what life outside the father's house is like. Right. It's he's like, still, to me, that guy is a three-year-old thinking he's doing his parents a favor by not running away. You know, like, yeah. you're not doing us any favors. You're <laughs> We're providing for your every need, you know. You're like the kid who wants to tie his own shoes but doesn't realize that his shoes were a gift <clears throat> and he doesn't have the money to buy them the, himself. Like, you just... And they're, you, they're Velcro. <laughs> they're Velcro anyway, dude. Yeah. <laughs> not that impressive for you to be able to tie them. <laughs> anyway, I cut you off, Mike. Go ahead. No, it's just the same. He has the same idea of what freedom is. Instead of being in relationship to the father, it's always. And this is the cool thing, dude. So this is what I got from the other homily of the other priest. Is there's a line in there when um, the older brother says to the father, when the father comes out to speak with him, he says, "Your son took all of your money and did all this blah blah. Your son." Um, now you're throwing this party for him and you know he did all these ridiculous things I, you know I can't remember exactly what he says and in in saying that what he does is he's kind of removing himself from relationship with his own brother and so he's placing this thing like him outside of that familial tie and the way that the father lovingly brings him back in he goes no your brother was lost and is now found he was dead you know and has come back to life essentially and so even there, the brother, you can see the older brother, uh, he doesn't have, he has the same definition of freedom that the younger brother had, in not in relationship or in responsibility, but in, yeah, really, really radical autonomy, like radical freedom, being able to do whatever he wants. He just hasn't gone out and done it. He, like, bring that idea to the end. Mm -hmm. See how logically how that progresses. And at least the younger son had the cajones to get out there and do it. Right. And I think that's true. It really is. But we have to, in reading like a parable like this, which is, you know, if there is a, a single parable that sums up the entire gospel, the, in my opinion, this would be, this would absolutely be it um, with its implications and its, uh, yeah, the notion of it's a parable of the father's son more so than it is or of the father's love more so than it is of the, you know, the prodigal son even or the older son. It's about the father and what he will do and what he um, desires. But I don't know, something that has been on my prayer a lot and, and a lot of the people that I've been talking to around the parish here is that, you know, when we talk about. Well, even that notion of like the father can throw um, a way better party than we can. Like when we talk about living in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where death itself is is conquered and the divine life, we now have the opportunity to let the divine life live in us. It ha that reality, which is true, has to look like something in our own life. So even that line of the father can um, can throw a way better party than than we can, 
Yeah, that's very true. And it, it does look like I am convinced of a true fulfillment, like a radical joy in Christians, which is um, not only important, important, but it's contagious, you know, in evangelization and reaching others in ways that we don't even understand. But ultimately, you know, while that veil between heaven and earth, yeah, and especially in certain moments and in, in watching certain people live, is very thin or can be very thin um like on this side of that veil always what love looks like is the cross or the most radical form of love so deacon keating i remember him talking about that of love on this side of the cross is it's it's radical you know and it it it's bloody and it it always points to the true understanding of the cross. So I guess the temptation for me in reading and those lines, like the father can throw a way better party than I can. It's a hundred percent true, but the temptation in me is to say, I need to change all of this stuff about my life to, to make myself more fulfilled, my life more exciting. And I don't know more and more, I'm convinced that as we come to know the Father's love in our own in our own lives, frankly, a lot of times I don't think our lives look that different. Um, but in our own experience of them, the change can be the change can be radical. Um, I remember Monsignor Lyle; he gave us a talk when we were in pre theology, maybe one time. And he said, you know, to be a real Catholic, to be someone that really wants to die a saint, you have to be perfectly okay with, at the moment of your death, no one knowing your name, you know, to be, um, you know, I guess on some standards, you know, a very, quote unquote, ordinary person, but it, a person that has let God's love, like, penetrate them so deeply that doing things like, I mean, you take the most radical example of living heroic Christianity in today's world, in my opinion, it's stay-at-home moms or working moms that are raising a family either way. But it's like, yeah, if you want to see um, the party that the father wants to throw to a, you know, to an eye with scales over it, it looks like someone like my sister who is constantly doing laundry and cleaning the house and trying to take care of her kids. But when the scale falls out, the scales fall off of your eyes. It's not that it looks any different from a worldly perspective. It's that that gives her this incredible joy that nothing in the world could replace and nothing in the world could frankly give. Word. You know, I had a little, uh, I had a little lesson in preaching this weekend because, uh, you know, I always am tempted, I think like a lot of preachers to be like, you know, everybody's heard this thing a thousand times. What can you say that's new? Hmm. And, uh, I just kind of, I didn't do a ton of prep. I was in Phoenix all week last week and having to get talks ready for that thing, this mission and got back Friday night and hit the ground running with youth group. And I had all the masses on the weekend. So Saturday, 4 PM, I just kind of, it wasn't that I was rushing it. I, I think I did a 
conscientious job of getting it ready, but I just thought, you know, I know this parable really well. I'll just, I'll just speak from my heart on what I think it means and who I think God is because of it. And uh, that 4 p.m. mass, this woman comes up to me. She's a faithful mass goer, and she's like, I loved your homily. Um, and uh, okay, thanks. And and it turns out that the reason she loved it so much is because she's heard that story all these times, but she never knew that it was about God. Mm. Like she literally never knew that the father was in that story was representative of God and his relationship toward us. Mm. She just thought it was some story that Jesus had told about a couple sons. And, uh, you know, this is no, um, like great compliment to me that I just basically, I said that from the very beginning, like, this is what Jesus is trying to, he's talking to the Pharisees to tell them, this is the God you serve. You don't know him, even though you serve him, here's what he's like. And I pointed out some details and, and just to think like, I guess what was moving to me about that was I put myself, I tried to put myself in her shoes, what it would be like for the first time realizing that Jesus was talking about God and how he feels about you. And she was like crying while she was telling me how much she liked the homily. I was like, that was not me. It was just, it was just like, you're pointing at the moon, you know, you're the finger, not the moon. Um, and the power of that story is sort of like, I think you're right, Rob, that it's not so much about either one of the sons or the calf or the rings or whatever. It's just about God's effusive love for us and everybody in their situation, a working mom or a retiree or a priest or a event planner or a garbage man or whatever else, like we're all because that parable comes right after the 99 sheep and then the 10 coins and then the two sons, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. Luke in the way that he puts those parables together. It's like this focused laser focus that like every single person it, that God longs for you. What's radical about what Jesus is saying is that God is interested in a relationship with you. Uh, way more than you're interested in a relationship with him and you're doing him no favors by staying in his house or by coming back to his house. It is him who, he who is doing the favor for you. Uh, I'm not doing God a favor by giving him an hour on Sunday. That is not adding anything to God. It's simply us opening the door just that tiny little bit to all of the infinity that he has to give us. And uh, there's, I mean, like you said, there's a million facets to that one parable, which I think is the most beautiful story ever told by anyone um, because it's the story of everything. Mm. Anyways. You dig? That sums it up. I mean, I remember hearing uh, about that specific parable, even, even for someone that would have heard it when Jesus initially said it. And this guy was talking about in those times, that parable, like that story would have been well known except for like the father, this patriarch figure um, would, when his son would come back to him, he would take like 
a huge basket full of like rotten vegetables and pretty much all the garbage that they had thrown out um, at the house. And when the son returned to his feet, he would throw the he would throw the garbage at the sun to land at the sun's feet, like representative of um, representative that like the sun was as dead to him as these things from this basket are dead because of what he had chosen to do. So if you especially put it in that context and. And like you put yourself in the shoes of someone listening to Jesus say this, that's what they think is coming in this story. And instead of doing that, the father actually runs to the son and eventually then like in this celebration reaches out to both of his sons in their sinfulness. Um, I've never... I've never heard a more honestly like profound thing said about that story that like you said, I know it's not you Connor, but that fact that that lady didn't know that it was about God and it was as simple as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, Like I could have stopped the homily after the first sentence. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's moving, man. You know, I, uh, it's cool when, when those moments like that come through, when you just realize like, oh yeah, it's all about God. <laughs> and you, you really do realize that he's the protagonist of all of human history, of all of salvation history, of all of our movements, all of our lives. And that was, I know we talked about Brideshead quite a bit, but that was the same exact feeling that I had with the story of Brideshead. Um, mm-hmm. When you look and you see, yeah, that essay that Father Oaks wrote that you (laughs) that you actually what is it transcribed um yeah just the simple idea of like christ is the center of that entire story god is the protagonist it just yeah i mean it it illuminates the entire thing um yeah it's just it's a simple thing but it's very profound and even in my own life just that realization of like oh yeah god is the center of my own life Wow. And see, even there, like to the point of the whole of the whole parable is that's not a restriction on on who I am or uh, or my own freedom, you know, just to talk about the freedom point or anything about who I am. It actually allows me to live to the fullest of who I was created to be. Like now I know how I'm meant to live and yeah, allowing the love of the father and the joy that he desires to give us so that our lives can be complete. It doesn't take away from that, but it actually brings that to fruition. It makes it even more complete because then you have the freedom to realize that God's the center of your life and that's it. You know, that's, I don't know. That's a great freedom for me at least. Yeah. What a burden lifted. You don't have to be the center of your own life. Yeah, it is. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.